Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is The Guardian. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Welcome to the Final Word Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John and I'm here in the UK watching the first Ashes test wind up and feeling happy sad that I can finally get some sleep. While over at the Gabba, my Australian colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon are feeling smug that they're there at all. Farewell hope, hallow, comfortingly familiar sense of inevitable doom. It took just four overs for Australia to take their first wicket on the fourth day. They wrapped up the rest in under 30. Well, it was too early in December for Christmas miracles anyway. There were some early presents though. Nathan Lyon got to unwrap his 400th test wicket and given that he'd been waiting all year like a good boy, he was understandably excited. As a wise old ketchup ad once reminded us, the best things come to those who wait. And in this case, it was the sight of David Milan skipping down the pitch, inside edging onto his pad and watching the ball loop up to silly mid-off. Three overs later, Cameron Green was equally chuffed with his own wicket. And frankly, why not? It was a siren temptress of an outswinger, and it barely deviated between the edge of Root's bat and the hands of the keeper. If you saw day one of this test, you probably don't need much imagination to picture day four. And if you're an England fan, you probably don't want to. Oh, go on then. Ollie Pope made it six balls before cutting one straight to slip, and Ben Stokes and Joss Butler flirted with fantasy in a 32-run partnership that ended almost a moment that Pat Cummins took the new ball. By that stage, however, even our TVs were refusing to maintain the fiction that England were putting up a fight. All around the Gabba, camera feeds went down simultaneously, leaving Stokes and Butler's fates suspended in quantum possibility. As long as we couldn't see them, they had a cat's chance, even if it was only Schrodinger's cat. There'd been a power failure at the ground, apparently. Not quite a pathetic fallacy, perhaps, but still a pretty decent commentary on England's batting lineup. People like to talk about it as a house of cards, but the picture that comes to my mind is an old cartoon illustration I once saw of a Victorian strongman on a bicycle. There's an acrobat performing a handstand on his head, and the rest of the cast of the big top is stacked above her in an inverted human pyramid. In the seconds before the whole circus hit dirt here, Chris Wokes managed to nose England's score just ahead to the tune of 20 runs. Their bowlers were as irresistible as they had been at the outset of this game. And Alex Carey had a day to remember too. He finished with eight catches, the most dismissals an Aussie keeper has ever secured on debut. Can England pick themselves up off the mat in four days? Well, we're going to find out. And with that, let's head over to Adam and Jeff at the Gabba. 
Thank you very much to Emma John. Day four at the Gabba, and we were thinking there may be day five at the Gabba for a while <laughs> on night three. You know, we had dreams, we had uh, hopes, we had hopes and dreams. You know, that big partnership, two players batting beautifully, both eyeing off hundreds, and wouldn't you know it, both of them fell short the next morning and things just went to pieces so, so quickly from there. I just came out of the press conferences, Adam, and Joe Root, he was really good, actually. Like, he, he was very staunch in that press conference. He was saying, we have to take this beating as an incentive to fight. We have to make sure that we keep being bold in our choices, that we don't uh, get afraid of, of taking the game on. And, and he said that he was very conscious of what had happened the last couple of times. And he, he was determined that this wasn't going to be the kind of series that slipped away from them where they ended up losing by a heavy margin. Uh, he can be a bit... A bit wet, I guess, in press conferences at times. But this was it was probably the best I've seen him speak in a presser. Mm. But he was angry. You could tell that he was angry and disappointed with how they'd let this position slip. It was, it was such a, a limp display from England from two down to end up all out with, with such a tiny lead. Yeah, it was a total shocker. I remember the corresponding press conference four years ago, Jeff, there at the Gabba when it was the, the Johnny Bairstow headbutt and they just lost by 10 wickets with Australia chasing uh, 173 and Warner and Bancroft doing it easily. Very different circumstances today, not least the fact that Warner didn't bat and we'll come to that in a bit with his bruised ribs. But yeah, the, the batting display from England the second time around, it was so promising. The way they finished day three, you have to excuse me, there's some dogs uh, running through the park where I'm uh, currently uh, recording, which is all good. I mean, they returned today and we're thinking, well, if they can knock off these 58 runs, I thought there'd be something of a phony war in the first 10 overs. Mm. With the second year ball due, I thought that Milan and Root would play conservatively uh, and not risk getting out in that phase, but also that Australia would be quite happy to bowl dry and there'd be really no inch given. But instead, uh, Lyon uh, effectively dismisses Milan the way he dismissed him the day before. We didn't know this when we went to record yesterday, but Milan admitted on radio that he gloved one back to Lyon off his front pad uh, yesterday and got away with one. But that's effectively how he went, caught a silly point, Martin. Slabashane, uh, a good chance taken there. He was out for 82. Uh, and then Joe Root nicks Cameron Green behind. We, we've probably talked about Cameron Green every night on the show this week, Jeff, and he hasn't made a run. Mm-hmm. It's been with the ball, it's been in the field, his presence, I suppose you would say. Last year, he, he batted six and bowled occasionally, but I, I, I don't think like he had a presence in the team, with the exception of that 70-odd that he hit at Sydney. Whereas I feel like he's been part of the game each day this week, and his, his seniority, rather, and position in the side is, is pretty proven to be more, all the more important. A big wicket today, Joe Root. 11 runs short of what would have been his first 100 on Australian soil. Seven times he's fallen between 50 and 100 in Australia across his three Ashes tours, which will be a point of personal frustration as well. And after those two guys went, well, the collapse initially was three for 11, which ironically is what, well, not ironically, coincidentally, is what England were on morning one. And Butler made 23 and he nicked the ball he shouldn't have played at. But I, I suppose they knew then, didn't they, Jeff? They knew that uh, the probability of them winning went through the floor the moment the two set men were gone and Stokes gets a good one from Cummins for the second time in the game and away it drifts accordingly. Yeah, on, on the final word, we respect the difference between irony and coincidence. They're <laughs> often conflated, but they're not the same thing. No. It... It, see, I don't even think I don't think Joe Root's shot to Cameron Green was that bad. I saw some people saying he didn't need to play at it, and yeah, it was marginally outside Good the ball. off stump, but it looked like it was going to angle in a bit, and it moved away, and, yep. and that's 
that's what happens. Joe Root, Joe Root defends in a sort of in a slightly outward movement, so he with, with an angled bat, English style, and and he does tend to hang the edge out and and catch the edge if it moves away. But he batted so well to that point. He was there was a particular note in his voice when he said, "I, I felt like that was the only mistake I made in my innings, and that's the one that got me out." And sometimes that happens. Whereas he said, "You know, we gave David Warner three or four chances, and so he was able to make us pay." So that that was definitely a theme. He said they should have batted first. They just didn't bat well enough. Their bowling picks right. had been good enough to win the match. They just hadn't taken the chances, the catches, the runouts, and all the rest of it. So he was quite bullish about his decisions going into the game. But I don't know. It's the it's the frustration of this team. The 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 limpness. When you look at how good some of those players are, and yet they're the ones who who don't deliver. You can't get a big score out of Stokes or a big mm. score out of Butler. And and you didn't need big scores even. You needed 50 or 60 from a couple of those players to try to to even get a lead of 150 or something like that and set a chase. So it felt like the possibility of a really well set up test match is, is what we lost. And I mean, the Australians bowled really well. Cummins particularly, that sort of savage bounce that he was able to get on day four, the same as he did on, on day one, and, and that was able to pick up edges. You know, that the delivery that got Stokes was... I mean, it was a weird shot from Ben Stokes trying to sort of push through square leg almost from a length ball but that took the leading edge, but it was a bounce that did him as much as any sort of lateral movement. Uh, and so even though Josh Hazelwood was hampered, they, they say he had a, a very, very minor strain in, in, a, in a rib muscle, and so he could have... Bowled. They just chose <laughs> not to bowl him because they didn't actually need to. Yeah, well, I suppose in the end they didn't snatch it, did they? they? They could have bowled Hazelwood yesterday when things were getting a bit grim towards the close of play, but they realised he needed the night's sleep. And really, that's to the credit of Pat Cummins. Jeff, you spoke on night one about how there'll be tougher days for Cummins than, uh, as captain, of course, after day one. It was the perfect day, really. And, yeah, I, I, I like that restraint from him that he didn't bowl Hazelwood when he had a niggle, waited till today, and it's Hazelwood who, who contributes and, and gets out Josh Butler. So, so, uh, yeah, they all played their role, didn't they? Cummins bowled superbly again. We haven't touched on Nathan Lyon yet, other than to say that he took four wickets. Well, the 400th wicket, rather, has finally been banked. Uh, it's taken 705 days for him to get through the 390s. The, the second longest, or the record holder until now, was Richard Hadley, who took 427 days. That puts it in some sort of uh, historical perspective. But he didn't speak of his relief when we interviewed him after play. More about, in the usual Nathan Lyon way, the fact that he's so proud of contributing to another Australian victory. Usually if Australia have a big win, line, he's often in the middle of all of that, as he was today. I think that the way he was able to threaten both edges through the course of today uh, was quite telling. Indeed, I think he did that yesterday too with maybe the exception of the last five or six overs before stumps. He genuinely was a threat on both edges and, and that's when you know Lyons bowling at his best and generating that drift with that beautiful fluent action of his that we know so well uh, after 10 years in the Test team. So he's the third Australian to reach 400 wickets, the 17th man overall and just a seventh spinner which I think is noteworthy too and presumably given he's now in the series as they say uh, he's only 32 years of age he's probably got you know four or five good years left in him as a finger spinner 34, my apologies. Nevertheless, you can easily see him playing for another Asher cycle, let's say, if he's good enough to get picked, and let's assume he will be. Uh, there could be five or 600 wickets on the shelf for him here. Dare to dream. Yeah, what, why not? Why not aim high? Um, if you, Particularly if you're a spin bowler, there's no reason why you, you can't keep going um, longer than, than some other disciplines. Yep. I liked the way that 
things changed for him so quickly because you know luck wasn't with him he bowled in in the first innings yeah sure like it was a seam bowler's day on, on day one but you'd expect in a collapse like that there might be a wicket for the spinner somewhere you know someone will will punt one to deep <laughs> mid wicket or whatever it is not to be bowled nine overs without taking a wicket at the end of the day on the third evening after the root milan partnership he was none for 69 not so nice and it, it hadn't been able to you know he bowled pretty well early on hadn't got one and then it was just having that like actually giving the ball flight letting it drop on Milan and that's what what gets him the deflected edge and then from there suddenly he gets three wickets donated to him you know Ollie Pope played that horrible shot sort of charging and then trying to play a sort of square drive slash cut shot through point somehow on the charge and, and nicked it to slip and then Robinson reverse sweeping and Mark Wood missing one straight at the stump so you can't mm. get a wicket for a year and then suddenly you get four just donated to you in, in the space of you know half an hour's bowling um, it's, it's, it's interesting how quickly the game can change yeah. Finding your perfect home was hard but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Absolutely. Let's just look forward a little bit, uh, shall we? Uh, the reason I want to do that is David Warner's ribs. Uh, I understand why he didn't bat in the second innings, but clearly that's a thing. You know, he would have, from a personal pride perspective, he would have wanted to have opened the batting uh, for those 20 runs today, but, but he didn't take the field at all in the second innings for England in a fielding capacity, and he didn't open the batting. Alex Carey, interestingly, put his hand up for that job, by the way, on the way through with Carey. Eight dismissals, eight catches. No one's taken eight catches on Dabu as a wicketkeeper for Australia before, so um, Brian Tabert's made eight dismissals, but a couple of stumpings in, in 1966. So um, a little bit of history there for Carey. And even though he was out, Jeff, caught behind to a, a nice Robinson delivery just before they reached the finish line, I think a pretty good sign for Carey that they, A, had the faith in him to do that job, but B, that he put his hand up to do it. As our, uh, our friend and colleague Rudy Edsall pointed out on Twitter, it's a little thing like that that will reinforce why they wanted Carey in this team. They think he's got those leadership, uh, those leadership skills, those leadership qualities, and it, something small like that kind of reinforces that point. Yeah, I, th- I think he did volunteer for it and the way that Pat Cummins described that after play was that Warner could have batted. He said if they'd been chasing something bigger, he would have batted, but yeah. In a, an instance like that where they knew it was basically a formality, they decided there was no point risking him and, and he was happy not to. So uh, the expectation is that he will play at Adelaide um, and that Hazelwood right. will also be fit to play at Adelaide. They're just cotton wooling, cotton cotton wool balling them, cotton balling them. I don't know, they've done something <laughs> to them. I think it'll probably mean that the bowling attack will stay the same because Mitch Stark, I think if it were another day test, they might rotate him through, but... His record with the pink ball is peerless and Cummins is the captain and Hazelwood uh, loves bowling with the pink ball as well. He was exceptional uh, against Pakistan a couple of years ago. So that probably means that Jai Richardson and Michael Nisa sit another test out. By contrast, in the England camp, I can easily see them playing four quicks. I mean, Leach has been taken to. They've got Anderson and Broad who have both 
have effectively declared themselves as certain starters next week. Robinson, you've got to play. And I think with the extra pace that Wood brings, the point of difference, how good Wood was this week, uh, they'll be keen for him to go around again. Uh, they've got an extra day of uh, preparation, of course, because they're not playing on day five. And he only bowled one ball today. So I reckon that adds up to a, a four-pace attack, an all-pace attack, rather, for England at Adelaide. Is that how you're saying it? I think that's probably it. I mean, given that Root outbowled Leach as well, even in this test match, Root obviously felt quite sorry for Jack Leach. He made a point of bringing yeah. it up in the press conference that, that Leach had had to bowl when the pitch was at its most difficult for a spinner to bowl on. And he, you know, players are always very diplomatic about not saying that anything's ever easy. But he said, he said even a bowler as good as Nathan Lyon, I found it relatively comfortable to face him on the wicket the way it was during that period of the game. So that right. he, was, he was trying to make the case for Leach that he'd had an unfair unfair conditions in which to bowl, basically, which which may be the case or not. But he still got smashed around to the tune of you know, nine and over, pretty much. So if they've got Root to do that sort of job, you, you're probably not going to need huge overs from a spinner in a pink ball test, so maybe Root can do that. But that's a pretty heavy burden for him to carry, as well as being captain and the guy who's expected to score all the runs. Yeah, I think that's right. When you consider that uh, Joe Root's averaging 67 or something like that this year, the rest of the England batting lineup collectively are averaging 25. England have been dismissed uh, for less than 200 10 times this year out of 22 innings. They're ugly numbers. The more I think about it, the more I reflect on this. They just can't do this. It's not sustainable to do it this way. And I know Milan batted really, really, really nicely, splendidly yesterday, but uh, they need someone, a couple of people, a few people to go with Joe Root. Hasipa Mead's in the series, Milan's in the series, Stokes isn't quite yet, and of course a small injury cloud hanging over here before Adelaide too. So uh, yeah, there are a, a lot of questions to answer and back-to-back test matches, which never helps the situation either. All right, the final word Hall of Fame and the player of the day. It's for the most final word moment of the day. For you, Adam, I'm, I'm tipping it might be to do with the broadcast going dead worldwide for about 20 minutes. Yeah, I'll start there. I mean, I've said this a million times. Why not say it once more? This test never should have been at the Gabba. I know it's where Australia had their comparative advantage, but locking out everybody from Queensland in the absence of those who did 14 days quarantine meant that there were going to be issues and challenges, unnecessary issues and challenges, and we saw that with technology through the course of the week. So uh, laying a final marker, full stop on that particular argument, this test should have been the fifth test. Anyway, the fifth test is going to be at Hobart, which is pretty cool, I reckon, Jeff, a second pink ball test, and I suppose from myself, perspective we get to spend a week in uh, one of the most beautiful cities in the world so I can't wait to get down to Hobart I note that we had um, a number of stories about Pat Cummins and his kombucha a couple of days ago well he he was drinking it again doing the crossword with David Warner again uh, on the balcony and speaking of of the leadership axis Stephen Smith at the end of play today he was giving away every set of gloves that he's got over the boundary line and I'm talking like 12 sets, one after another after another. Pretty much every kid. It's like Oprah Winfrey. Everyone got a pair of Stephen <laughs> Smith's gloves. You get a pair, you get a pair. So I, I quite like that from Smith as he uh, you know, continues to uh, rebuild his relationship with the Australian people, shall we say. All you need is gloves. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, eight, I think he has 18 pairs in his in his bag, so maybe he kept six for himself. Uh, my, so I, I've got to say, I did feel very smug about having done the two weeks quarantine and being at the Gabba for that seven minutes or whatever it was <laughs> while nobody else in the world could watch the cricket but I could. Nobody else saw yes. Joss Butler with soft hands open the face of the bat and just run an edge between third slip and gully away for four. No one else saw that. I saw it. 
nobody else got to watch. That was that was for, it was almost a minute for every day I spent in isolation to be here. But my my Hall of Fame nomination, I think, was in the press conference because I was going to ask Nathan Lyon about his 400th wicket. And I know that every time you ask him about a milestone, he always says, "I'm not big on personal milestones." That's like yes. his mantra. And and I wanted to ask him about being in the 400 club with Richard Hadley and and Imran Khan and and the rest. And and so I I started the question with Nathan. I know you're not big on personal milestones, and I kind of snook at him because then he had to answer it because he couldn't say that he wasn't big <laughs> I've on done personal that before. milestones. I, 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 I've done that before with Nathan in a press conference as well where I've said, now Nathan, I know you don't like talking about yourself, but I mean a big achievement today and went into it, so we're similarly aligned with how we can get a line out of Nathan, which isn't, oh it's just great to be part of a team win, which I, you know, I get what he means by that. He, he often says he'll reflect upon his personal milestones when his career is over and that, as we said off the top, might be some years into the future. And he's my player of the day. Uh, that yep. wicket that he took changed everything. The collapse came after that, and for him to do that after having that frustration, waiting for so long to get to the 400, it felt very significant for him and, and yeah. for Australia. And a word for Marcus Harris. He's not my player of the day, but imagine walking out with 20 to win mm. and having failed in the first innings and having... And Warner's not there. As you detailed, and Warner's not there, and as you detailed the other day, uh, a batting average uh, for having batted as long as he has for Australia, which it's right at the bottom for Test openers you know he nicks one early and he's got big problems and he got through mm-hmm. and, and he brought up the victory with a, a lovely square drive off Mark Wood out to the rope so it's not a huge deal making nine not out but I think it's not for nothing let me put it that way he was on the proverbial hiding to nothing and he managed to escape yeah. unscathed so well done to Marcus Harris right that is uh, the final word Ashes Daily for the Brisbane Test we will be back in Adelaide uh, Emma John reunited I will be there. Adam will be there. We'll be together. We'll be able to sit together yes. and record ourselves on the one camera instead of two. So we're looking forward <laughs> to that as well. We hope to have your company uh, throughout the series for the Ashes Daily. Uh, thanks to everybody involved in making the show. That's it from Brisbane. Night. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. That's it for today and for this test match. Thanks from Adam, Jeff and me for listening. We will see you back here in a few days' time on 16th of December for the second test from Adelaide. And if you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review. This episode was produced by Sophia Tarek and The Final Word is produced by Bad Producer Productions and edited by James Hurley. The executive producers are Gabrielle Jackson and Melanie Tate.